Preacher, don't go away. In the military and in law enforcement, there's something known as a challenge coin. It goes back to the days of the Roman Empire. A general would give a coin to a soldier who performed valiantly in battle. And I've had the honor to receive some of those in my life and always thought they were special. So uh, a little while back, I made one up. One side says, preach the word, has my name. The other side, there's a logo of two hands shaking. And around the perimeter, it says, friendship, fellowship, and faithfulness. I'm really glad I get to be here at this church. I'm very glad I get to be around your pastor. I want him to know, and I want you to know, that I appreciate his friendship, I enjoy his fellowship, and I deeply admire his faithfulness. Would you help me thank him for being a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother. That coin, along with a $10 bill, will get you a half a cup of coffee at any Starbucks in America. <laughs> Love the music. Appreciate it this morning. Really enjoyed it all tonight. Would you do me a favor before I begin to preach? Would you take out a piece of paper, any kind of paper, and... If you can't find paper, do it in your mind. Make a mark on the right side of the paper and a mark on the left side of the paper. Dot, check, X, doesn't matter. Let the mark on the right side of the paper represent a really good Christian, the best Christian you know. Scale of 1 to 10, there are 10. Y'all have a squeaky platform, you know that, don't you? It's not my shoes, it's your platform. Let the mark on the left side of the paper represent a really bad Christian, the worst Christian you know. And then, without looking at anyone else's paper, was that clear? Even if you are a wife or a mother, I know it's Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day. Would you put a mark on the paper where you believe you are in your Christian life right now? When you've done that, fold the paper up. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Preacher, I forgot to ask this morning, do you typically stand here when you read the scripture? What do you normally do? Okay, I do whatever the preacher does, as long as it's not illegal, immoral, unethical, or fattening. Well, three out of four is not bad. Stand with me if you would, please, as we read beginning in verse 14. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. He does. He knows mine. He knows yours. That thou art neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. 
I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold dried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with thy salve that thou mayest see as many as I love. <coughs> I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <coughs> if any man hear my voice and open the door, <coughs> I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Lord, you're meeting with us. We are aware of your presence. Our hearts have been touched by music that reminds us this world is not our own. We have an eternal union. But in the meantime, we have an earthly purpose that you intend to produce eternal results. May this time draw us closer to you and help us more faithfully represent you to our world. Fulfill your purpose for our lives Enjoy your presence and give you the place, position, and praise that you deserve. Help it to be so. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Maybe seated. You're going to anyway, so I told you, might as well do it. The Lord Jesus comes to the church in Laodicea and he makes a pronouncement to them. It doesn't sound too bad. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. That's, that's not bad. When I was in school, C's were my friend. C's never got me grounded. C's never got me in trouble. C's never took as much effort as A's or B's. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. But he makes a pronouncement not only about the relationship to him, but about his reaction to that. And he says, I would thou wert cold or hot. Now that's bizarre. See, part of our problem is we know or think we know the Bible so well, we don't really pay attention to what it says. So, supposing I gave the invitation at the end of this service, 
And I said, I want all you lukewarm Christians to promise God that from now on you'll be cold. That's what he said. I would not work cold or hot. Well, I don't think Brother Ingram be calling his friends. Wow, we had 74 people promise God to become cold Christians last night. Hey, I not only would never be back for another meeting, I wouldn't be back tomorrow. That's what Jesus said. And it gets worse. He makes a pronouncement about the relationship, but he makes a pronouncement about his reaction. He said, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Strong word. Some people say, I think they're right, it is the idea of vomiting. I will vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, the Lord Jesus said to the lukewarm church and to the lukewarm Christian who makes up that church, you make me sick to my stomach. Why? Let me see if I can illustrate that. I'd like three young men to volunteer and help me. Thank you, Nathan. That's great. He was actually starting to move. Stand over here, would you, buddy? Nathan is going to represent a hot Christian. He is great. On a scale of 1 to 10, he's at 10. He reads the Bible every day, memorizes the scripture. He never misses a church service. He tithes. He gives an offering. Pass out tracts everywhere he goes. He goes swimming all the time. Never watches anything bad on the television. Very careful about the kind of music that he listens to. Uh, it's godly and on fire. And I can tell by your reaction, I picked the wrong person. So let me see, Jonathan, is it? Would you help me, Jonathan? Jonathan, stand over here if you would please. Jonathan is going to represent a cold Christian. On a scale of 1 to 10, he barely registers. Just stay right there, that's good. Don't get too close to me. <laughs> I don't want to be around you cold Christians. Um, he never reads the Bible. Never goes to church at maybe Christmas and Easter. Never prays unless he thinks he's about to die. Watches garbage on television, drinks booze, smokes cigarettes, uses illegal drugs. <coughs> if he does go to church, he not only doesn't put anything in the offering, the ushers watch him to make sure he doesn't take anything out. But he is saved. Uh, it used to be popular with childs when I was in college. There was this philosophy going around. People said, well, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Watch out for people who get smarter than God. Because God said there was in the book of Corinth. He said, you are carnal. To the church at Corinth. I used to always say, well, come to our church. I'll show you some. We <laughs> saved. Lot. Not one thing to commend him in the Old Testament. Every choice he makes is wrong. But in the New Testament, we are told that just Lot vexed his righteous soul. Seeing and hearing the conversation of the wicked. So you're not saved because of how you live. You're saved because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you are saved and you live sinfully, the Bible is very clear. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. So at all times, either chastisement or a changed life will be an operation in the life of a true believer. 
Uh, let me get one. What, what is your name, sir? Yeah. Giovanni, would you help me? Would you be willing to help me? Yeah, come on, Giovanni. Stand right there in the middle. Giovanni is going to represent a lukewarm Christian. He's not a bad guy. He goes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, most Wednesday nights. He may miss once in a while, like if George is playing. He uh, reads the Bible probably four, five, six days a week. Sometimes he gets tired and he says, I'll read it tomorrow, I'll catch up. He's pretty careful what he watches on the television. Every once in a while, there's a program he gets engrossed in and goes a little bad, and he'll leave it on just to see what happens, but he's pretty careful. Not a bad guy. He usually tithes. Now, if he goes out of town, he may not always bring his tithe back when he comes back. After all, if you don't eat at the restaurant, you don't pay for the meal. Try that with your house payment. <laughs> Tell the mortgage company you're gone two weeks. Give them a half payment. See how they like that. Not a bad guy. Sometimes he'll witness. Sometimes he misses the opportunity. Now, next Sunday, you can either have Jonathan or Giovanni join your church. You cannot have Nathan. I'm taking him back to Bridgeport. We deserve one member like that. <laughs> so you have somebody come some of the time or none of the time. Somebody gives something or gives nothing. Somebody reads the Bible, some reads it none. Somebody has some outreach or has none. Somebody has some uh, separation or has none. Who would you pick? Well, I'd pick Giovanni. I'd reason if he is in church, He's got a chance of hearing the word of God, growing, making progress. But the Lord Jesus said, I'd rather you be cold or hot than lukewarm. Now, we have silly explanations for that. Well, we like to drink things that are hot or cold, but we don't like to drink anything that's lukewarm, really. My house got a big 22-ounce glass in the kitchen cupboard. And every morning, I'd grab that glass and fill it up with water and drink it straight down right from the tap. Lukewarm. Well, we like to eat things hot or cold. We don't like to eat things lukewarm, okay? What temperature do you take your potato chips? <laughs> do you fry them or freeze them? I steam right out of the bag. Room temperature. I've been guilty of eating a whole lot of lukewarm peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And if they got enough jelly, I have no objection. We just say stuff. The Lord Jesus makes a pronouncement. He says, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. That's the relationship, his reaction. I'll spew you out of my mouth. And then we see a perception. And here is the self-perception of the lukewarm Christian. Because, wait, 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 wait a minute. Because. How would that work, cold or hot? So then because they're neither cold nor hot, lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth 
Because I think he's fixing to tell us why. Because thou sayest. I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Our independent Baptist churches are really overall in good shape. Your church is a great church. Use the right Bible. You have good music. Not like the world's music. Somebody said, I like music that's neither Bach nor rock. <laughs> Honors the Lord. You, you, your people look like Christians. Your teenagers don't look like they're about ready to go into some rave somewhere, some kind of wild party. You have church on Sunday night. You know, like one of these progressive people that decided, oh, we only need one service a week. They'll say to my pastor, his contemporaries and those younger say, well, we're just having one service a week now because we can put so much more into it. And he'll say to them, well, why don't you just have one a year? Imagine how good that would be. By the way, if I didn't have any more to say than some of those rascals, I wouldn't have church more than once a week either. Praise God. We're an independent fundamental Baptist church. We use the right Bible. We have church Sunday night. We have separation. We go soul winning. We have godly music. I do praise God for all that. The lukewarm guy says, I'm okay. I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. See, here's why the Lord Jesus said that. You come to this guy and say, you, Jonathan, are a lousy Christian. What's he going to say? I am not. I went to church twice last year, Christmas and Easter. Didn't even steal anything out of the offering. <laughs> Tried to, but the ushers are watching. What's he going to say? He's not going to pretend. But you go to this guy and he says, wait a minute. No, no, I'm pretty good. I mean, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect, but I've been growing in grace and I've made progress and I've dealt with some things in my Christian life. I, I'm on the right track. I'm in the right crowd. Self-perception. See, when we think of revival, if we're not careful, we think of the backslidden, we think of the gossiping, we think of the bitter, we think of the worldly, and we say, man, they need revival. We don't sing it this way, but our attitude is revive them again. Fill their heart with your love. Yeah. It's my brother and my sister, but not me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Ah, our trouble is that compared to others, we look pretty good. But the Bible never commands us to be better than the cold Christians, to be better than the world, to be better than the progressive Christians. It commands us to be like Jesus. God says, be holy, for I am holy. Self-perception. 
Notice the Savior's perception. Now watch what he says. He says, and knowest not. This is not a hypocrite. I'm preaching, I suspect, to very few hypocrites tonight. Oh, some. But you check your phone history, you'd be deeply embarrassed. Some. We know how he behaved at work. It'd cause you to blush if everybody found that out. Some music you listen to is far from anything pleasing to God, but this guy's not a hypocrite. He is self-deceived. He really thinks he's way better than he is. And no, it's not. Our poor, wretched, miserable, naked, blind. See, we know the world is bad. We know that if you drink booze, you can become a drunkard. If you take drugs, you become an addict. If you are promiscuous, you get a bad disease. If you flirt around with that person in the office, you might lose your marriage. But we're like a fellow I worked with when I was in South Carolina in college at Sears. They had a big tennis shoe sale every year. I worked a lot of time in the shoe department. And they put the tennis shoes in brand new trash cans, galvanized steel trash cans by size. So one year, they gave me a crew of special needs young men. And our job was to take those shoes out of the box, tie them together, and put them in the right can. One of those young men was named Ernest. Ernest had a very receding chin, a prominent nose, a large forehead. He looked kind of like a weasel. And he lived not far from me, so I'd give him a ride home at night. And Ernest got to feeling comfortable with me. He had beady little eyes. One night he looked at me and he said, did you, ever, did you ever want to get a house and make it look like there's people in it and then set it on fire and watch it burn? No, Ernest. <clears throat> like to go parasailing on that, maybe. Maybe fly an ultralight, but uh, no. And then I had this flash of thought. If I were a woman, it would have been intuition, but I'm not. So it was just a flash of thought. I said, Ernest, you, you would never want to do that with real people in the house, would you? And his beady little eyes glistened and his face began to gleam. And he looked at me and he said, I think it'd be fun. Ernest had been to enough counseling to know that you really weren't supposed to burn up houses with people in them. But in the back of his mind, he was being robbed of an enjoyable experience. He was being stifled. Church like this, especially young people going to church like this. We look over in the distance and see the lights twinkling. We hear the music playing and we hear the clink of the glasses and we, we wonder if maybe over there it isn't a little easier. Wonder if that contemporary church it isn't a little more relaxing. Wonder if out in the world there maybe aren't some things that we're missing somehow. Hey, I want to remind you, the devil is a liar. 
He's a murderer from the beginning and a boat not in the truth. All of his pearls are paste pearls. All of his nickels are wooden nickels. And the world, the flesh, and the devil don't have one good thing for the child of God. But here's the deal. The lukewarm Christian has enough of Christ to keep him from enjoying the world and enough of the world to keep him from enjoying Christ. Amen. And he'll hear, we had a great prayer meeting Saturday night. And he says, oh, good. But to him, a great prayer meeting is one where he has an excuse not to go or one where he goes and doesn't pray. We had a great time out soul winning. Oh, good. But to him, a good soul winning night is four cards, three people not home, one not interested, and 45 minutes eating Krispy Kreme. Wouldn't give you a dime for Dunkin'. Nothing at Dunkin' appeals to me. Krispy Kreme is of God. He used to work night watch. The truck would come by. I would buy a box of glazed donuts. They were so hot, they wouldn't hold their shape when you picked them up. And I wouldn't eat them. I slurped them. You say the whole box, mind your own business. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we had a wonderful service. It lasted two hours. Oh, no. That's interesting. Now, I, I know preachers sometimes drone on and on. I don't preach here as long as I used to. My motto as I get older is if you can't be good, be short. I've heard plenty of sermons that were neither and have preached more than a few that were neither. But the idea of being someplace where God began to work and nobody cared about going, he doesn't get it. Just doesn't compute with him. And knowest not that poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. I think you got the idea, right? For these guys, they all did a good job. Who's, who's the youth pastor? Is that Brother Cherry? Who's the youth pastor? You don't have one. Okay. Well, uh, give these guys a hand. You go back to your seat. Thank you, Giovanni. Thank you. Nathan. Thank you. Jonathan. Well, see the preacher afterwards. He'll give you each 20 bucks. Maybe. So the Lord Jesus comes to the lukewarm church. Here's a pronouncement about the relationship with him, not hot or cold, lukewarm, his reaction. I'll spew you out of my mouth. There's a perception, self-perception, I'm good. Savior's perception, you're rotten, you're rotten, wretched, miserable, naked, blind. And then there's a prescription. I counsel thee. Hey, I hope you get counsel from your preacher. I'm so glad you have Brother Childs here, amazing, faithful man of God for so many decades. I hope you get counsel from your preacher. I hope you get a time to talk and learn from Brother Childs. But what if you could get counsel from the Lord Jesus? Would you take it? Well, we're about to find out. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. White raiment thou mayest be clothed. Anoint thine eyes with eyes have, that thy uh, 
thou mayest see. Now, what's happening here? The Lord Jesus is attacking the church of Laodicea at their areas of perceived strength. They had a banking industry. They were proud of it. They were kind of the Switzerland of their day. He said, you don't need material riches. You need spiritual riches. They had a garment industry they are proud of. He said, you do not need your fancy finery. You need to be robed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had an eye salve that helped people's vision. He said, you do not need physical perception. You need spiritual insight. And then he said, Behold, he said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. About 20, 25 years ago, there was a debate raging about repentance. I wound up hearing from those on both sides that they were kind of leaders. And I concluded neither of them were qualified to lead a theological debate. So one day I looked it up. The word repent is made of two other Greek words, the word perceive and the word afterward. My uh, wife's sister lives across town from us, and I believe she spends a good deal of time watching the Weather Channel because... My wife will always say, honey, Kathy said that the weather's going to do this or that. So, supposing one day I'm supposed to drive somewhere to preach, and Christy says, honey, Kathy said there's going to be an ice storm, going to be three inches of ice. Do you think maybe you ought to cancel your meeting and not go out there? My typical male response would be, nah, it'll be okay. So I get in the road. Well, there's not three inches, but there's a good inch. The roads are slick as can be, and I can barely keep my vehicle on the road, even with all-wheel drive. And cars are in the ditch all over the place. And I think, whoa, I better get off this freeway and find a place to spend the night. I just repented. I did not perceive initially, but I did perceive afterward. First prescription is this. Acknowledge your sin. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, I think this might help you, this little exercise. Have you ever heard of somebody who we thought was a good Christian, maybe even in leadership somewhere, and they did something really bad? And you said to yourself, how could they do that? I think I figured it out. They do that. Same way you and I do the stuff we do. Oh, no, you say, brother, I'm not talking about that. I don't do anything like that. My, my sin doesn't reach that level. Oh, oh, I forgot. You're rich and increased with goods. Have need of nothing. Those other people have big problems. You just have little problems. We love that verse if we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Great verse. That word confess means to say the same thing as. It doesn't mean to say, okay, I blew it. I'm sorry. No, no. What it means 
is to stop excusing your sin, stop ignoring your sin, stop uh, whitewashing your sin, and start saying about your sin what God says about your sin. I heard somebody pray last night. I'm in no way critical of prayer. I believe it was sincere. I'm not arguing with it. I understand it. I'm grateful for it. But they said something like this, Lord, thank you that we're coming into this revival clean. Because God has done a cleansing work in your church. And people have dealt with numbers of sins. Let me tell you what it works like, though. Bible talks in Psalm 19, I may preach from that another night, about secret sins. I used to think that meant sins that I know are in my life, but nobody else knows. It doesn't mean that. It means sins that are in my life that I don't even know are wrong. I'm not even aware of how much I'm displeasing God. There was a fellow got saved at a certain church I could tell you about, and he was a rough guy, and the people were excited, and they were saying amen. And the preacher is preaching along, and he joined in, and he cussed, and he said, blank ripe. That was wrong. He didn't know it was wrong. He didn't know that was a bad word. It was a bad word. He didn't understand it. My dad ran the Detroit Rescue Mission, and they had a summer camp, bringing inner city kids and reaching with the gospel. They needed counselors from area churches. And we rented the camp from the state of Michigan, had to clean it up and pass an inspection before we could leave. So my dad always gathered the counselors on the last day and he told them what to do. And here's one of the things I never forget him saying, sweep every cabin twice. You will be surprised, he said, how much dirt you get the second time. You've done that. Sweep the floor as well as you can. Go back, sweep it again. There's still more dirt. God takes the big pieces of the splinter out first. But the little pieces can fester too. The little pieces can cause disease and infection too. The little pieces can keep from having a complete healing as well. Acknowledge your sin. Listen to the voice of God. Don't argue. Don't excuse. Don't say, well, that's no big deal. God dealt with me one time about having used somebody else's soap. They left it in a public restroom. And I used their soap. No permission on my soap. Well, you know, the Bible says, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Now, had I argued with the Lord about that, I could not be in fellowship with him. It doesn't matter whether I thought it was a big deal or not. It matters what God thinks about it. It doesn't matter what you think about your behavior. It matters what God thinks about it. Amen. Acknowledge your sin. And then he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, 
I will come in and sup with him and he with me. The second part of the prescription, the Lord Jesus tells us to admit the Savior. Now we love that verse. We quote that verse. We have pictures about that verse. But it is one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. Because it places the Lord Jesus Christ outside the door of his own church. He's outside and he's knocking, asking the church if he can come inside. I stand at the door and knock. And then he says, if any man, that's the subjunctive mode, it indicates doubt. If any man, is there one person who really wants to know me better? Is there one person who really wants to fellowship with me? Is there one person who really wants to spend time with me? I know you want to check everything on Facebook. I know you got to look at your Twitter account. I know you got unlooked at posts on Instagram. I know you've got all your news feeds to check. I know you want to see really read about the sports scores. I know you want to catch the highlights of the ball games. I know you've been watching that soap opera for 30 years and you don't want to miss. But does anybody care about me? Is anybody interested in me? Does anybody want a fellowship with me? Second part of the prescription is admit the Savior. Do you know how close you are to God tonight? Exactly as close as you want to be. Draw nigh to God and he will. Definite. No exception, no hesitancy, no exclusion. He will draw nigh to you. I was in, I think, sixth grade. Detroit, my dad was running the Detroit Rescue Mission. Robert Burns Elementary School. There's a girl in my class named Rosemary. And I liked her. I thought she was cute. If I had to pick any girl in that class to be my girlfriend, I'd have picked Rosemary. One day I was sitting behind her and she turned around. She had a piece of paper with three names on it. She pointed to the first name. I did not recognize it. She said, that's my boyfriend at home. I said, that's nice. She pointed to the second name. I didn't recognize it. She said, that's my boyfriend at church. I said, that's interesting. She pointed to the third name. I recognized it. It was my name. And she said, that's who I want for my boyfriend at school. What are you laughing at? <laughs> Anybody ask you to be their school boyfriend? I liked her. I thought she was cute. I thought she's the cutest girl in that class. If I had picked anybody in that, that class to be my girlfriend, I'd have picked Rosemary. And she pointed at my name. So that's who I want for my boyfriend at school. I didn't know much about it in the sixth grade. But I knew enough to know if I was going to be somebody's boyfriend, I was going to be their all-the-time boyfriend. I didn't want to be part of a trio. Walk down the hallway, there goes one of Rosemary's boyfriends. I said, I'm not interested. We don't mean to do it. But we say, Lord Jesus, I want you to have this part of my life. I've heard evangelists, not in our circles, say, come, make Jesus part of your life. 
Jesus doesn't want to be part of your life. He does not only want to be the most important part of your life. Oh, the Bible does say in Colossians that in all things he might have the preeminence. I understand that. I mean, first in order and foremost in importance. But you know what it says later on in that same chapter? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. He's not part of our life. He's the one who saved us. He's the one we serve. He's the one whose name we bear. He's the one we're trying to please. He's the one before whom we'll appear at the judgment seat. He's not part of our life. He is our life. There was a newspaper man named William Randolph Hearst. Rich. We're very rich. Had a big collection of art and he read about a painting that to us would be extremely expensive, but to him wasn't a big deal. He called an agent in that he employed and said, get me that painting, find it, buy it. I don't care what you have to pay. I got plenty of money. After some time, the agent came back and he said, Mr. Hurst, I found the painting. Good, he said, did you buy it? He said, no, I cannot buy you that painting. You can buy it. I've got a lot of money. Everybody's got their price. Buy the painting. He said, no, Mr. Hurst, it is not possible for me to buy you that painting. Why not? Well, he said, I found it crated up in the basement of a warehouse that you own. You bought it a long time ago with a bunch of other stuff. Isn't that interesting? Sending a man all around the world to find what he already had. That's what we do. Well, if I had a nicer car, if I could get a different job, if I was able to wear fancier clothes, if I could live in a better house, if I could get over this, if that would get solved, then I'd be happy. And ignoring the fact that we have the source of joy, we have the source of life, we have the living water, and his name is Jesus. I'm looking every place else for what we've already got. I heard a preacher tell a story about a man in England who was very wealthy, had one child, a son, who was killed in the Royal Air Force. The wife died, the son was already dead, and this man had a collection of very expensive art. Unusual, so many items of such value would be available at one time. They were up for a sale at Southby's, the famous English auction house, and a great crowd had gathered, and the auctioneer banged down his gavel and said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming. According to the terms of the estate, this item must be auctioned off first, and he reached over and pulled the cover off a painting sitting on an easel. It was a painting of the dead man's dead son. Painted by an insignificant artist, it was essentially worthless. The people there would rather have had the frame than the painting. And nobody bid. There's a man that had been a servant to the wealthy man. He loved him. Loved his son. He thought, I'd like that painting. He bid a few dollars. Auctioneer said, sir, the painting is yours. And then he said, folks, thank you for coming. I know this has been unusual. But according to the terms of the estate, the auction's now over. And my, there was a hubbub and a commotion and a clamor. And he banged and banged and banged. 
And he finally said, because according to the terms of the estate, whoever purchased the picture of the son was to be given the entire collection, as I understand the teaching of the word of God, particularly the New Testament. That's what it says. It says in him, our Lord Jesus Christ, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. I remind you, church, if you have Jesus, you have everything. You don't have Jesus. You don't have anything. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not. Thou art poor and wretched and miserable and naked and blind. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Lord, I don't know where everybody is. I don't know the work you're doing in each heart. I just know that as I've been praying for some time now about this meeting, you have put this sermon on my heart for this service. So would you please use the truth of your word by the power of your spirit to accomplish its intended purpose in each of our hearts. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.